0: Hi, everybody. I'm Gene Simmons, and you're not. And you are listening to the number one KISS podcast, Shout It Out Loudcast, with Tom and Zeus. But you knew that. Now get out of here. That's right. A special 50th episode of Dorm Damage and what a way to celebrate. We have rock and roll royalty in the house tonight, Zeus. Who is joining us for episode
1: 50? Uh, Legendary bassist Rudy Sarzo. Oh my God. Uh, Incredible. Yes. And uh, Rudy uh, for those who know and if you're one of those who don't know, which is a shock, uh, part of Quiet Riot, played in Ozzy's band with Randy Rhoads, Whitesnake, been part of Jeff Tate's Queensryche, he's been part of Dio, he's in played Bay. with the Guess Who band, he's done yeah. a million things, he's got podcasts, he's got a radio shows. he is honestly, and it's funny because I told him this, Six Degrees of Sarzo, his radio show. Yeah. He's like the Kevin Bacon of music. Yep. Everybody's connected to him one band or another. Yep. And everybody loves him. Yep. It's incredible. And, and uh we got a chance to talk to him and of course because a lot of you guys know him the huge Randy Rhodes fan, uh he gets into so much detail about it and Randy, you're going to love this. Let's get to it. Here is Rudy Sarzo.
0: All right. This week, we are in the presence of Hard Rock Royalty, a legend in our world and your world. He has played with some of our favorite bands Quiet Riot, Ozzy Osbourne, White Snake, and so much more. Let's welcome the legendary bass player, the great Rudy Sarzo. Rudy, welcome to the show, my man.
2: (laughs) Great to be here.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. This is an honor for us to have such a legend like
2: yourself and this is great. Thank you. yeah uh, so uh, what's f- I'm, j- I'm just getting started here so yeah, good for you <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> well
1: what, what's funny is Tom, like you know we we're just brushing up. we know your history and your background, and we we're brushing mm. up on your Wikipedia page Wrong. and there's like 15 names there you got, buddy.
2: So can you tell us what's your what's your real official name? Yeah, yeah, that that's that's about the only thing that's correct. Like <laughs> on, on, on Wikipedia, everything else is like no. Okay. But we're gonna have fun, uh, you know, demystifying the myth that lives on in Wikipedia land. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. We can do that. So we met,
1: and I and I don't know if you'll remember this, but we met not too long ago. You played mm-hmm. with Quiet Riot at Preachers Fest.
0: In Nashville in 2022. Oh, yes, we
1: did, yeah. yeah. That was fun. So at the end of the like the whole event, it was crazy, it was like the last night. Mm-hmm. All us podcasters and buddies are all hanging out in the bar. And poor Rudy Sarzo, not knowing a thing, walks into the bar, probably just grab a drink or something. And we all attacked you. <laughs> <laughs> We're all we all and jumped she- up, forced you to come sit down with us, and we took a big pick with you. And all us there was like twenty podcasts there and we all were all in heaven. And you walked right in on it on us. And it yeah, was
2: just- I remember that. Yeah. That was the only place to get to get food that was open yes. at the time. That's and, right. That's right. And and I've been sober for twenty six years. So me walking into a bar is basically <laughs> I'm looking for food. <laughs> so it's the only place that has food at the time. So yeah. yeah.
0: I, 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 yeah. yeah, that 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 was so great, because we had just finished watching you, because obviously Quiet Riot mm. was part of Creatures Fest, and you walked mm. in, and everyone's like, there's Rudy Sarzo, and poor Rudy, <laughs> yeah. and we all just <laughs> attacked you, because we all had to get a picture of the legend Rudy Sarzo, so that, that was a fun moment for us, and then I also had a moment where I didn't meet you, but I saw you very, very up close and personal, probably about 10 or so years ago in Boston, when you were touring with Jeff Tate's Queensryche on the, on the mind crime anniversary tour,
3: Mm -hmm. uh, we were
0: right up front. Uh, That was obviously fantastic. We'll we'll talk about that. And and so much more Zeus, Mm -hmm. I know has, has something that he wants to start with, with you on here.
1: Yeah. So Rudy, I'm not sure which incarnation we can start with, because to me, you've been in three bands almost at their height. Yeah. So you've got the, quiet riot metal health number one album in the u.s where hard rock and metal albums weren't doing that and Mm. you guys hit it off big and i remember as a young kid teenager we're talking 10 years old how big quiet riot metal health was Mm. then all of a sudden this band called white snake comes up now i didn't know you weren't on the original 87 title track but i remember the videos and I remembered your moves. I'm like, oh, that's the guy from Quiet Riot. There was no, um, you know, there was no uh, uh, internet or anything to look you up or Google you. But I'm like, I recognize that guy, but he looks a little different. The hair color, obviously. But yeah. I remembered you from that. And then you were my first concert that year. I was my first concert. I saw you guys in Worcester with Great White opening up in Massachusetts. I think it was about 87 in Worcester, mm-hmm. Mass. And then... You're not finished. (laughs) I'm not finished. I didn't realize your original impact with Ozzy and playing with Randy and playing in that band of that version of of Ozzy's band. As you grow older and you start seeing more music and YouTube comes out and you start finding out all this stuff about people you're interested in. And, you know, you're out with Dio. You've been played with Ingve. You've played. And you had a. A. Perfectly named radio show, right? Six degrees of Sarzo because you are the Kevin Bacon of music. I don't know if there's anybody that doesn't know you in music or doesn't respect you or talk highly of you. Um, you are amazing legend that only positive things are ever said about, at least as far as we're concerned, and I, it, you know, obviously it's an honor to have you on. But I don't know which band I want to talk to you first, so I'm trying to think that through while uh, while we have you. Uh, oh, I know where you I know where you want to start. We all, we want to hear we want to hear about Randy Rhodes and Ozzy. Yeah, so just watching and prepping before to talk to you. There's a um a clip of videos that you guys did with Tommy Aldridge, Ozzy, you and uh, Randy. I don't know, Mister Crowley. And Crazy Train. I don't know if you know those like performance videos. Ozzy's got these tassels in this awful shirt that says Ozzy on it. You got like a red jumpsuit on. I don't know what that is, but and um, watching the that band perform those songs, absolutely amazing. And I'm curious because you guys all look like you're playing and having fun, and then you kind of look like you're. Looking over and going Holy shit, look at what Randy's doing (laughs) It is like the best live performances I've ever seen of a guitar And I'm just amazed by it And I'm just curious what your thoughts are Being able to look back And go, playing with this guy And playing with Ozzy and, And Tommy at that time
2: well I for that to answer that I need to go back to choir riot the Randy Rose version of the band yes that's the first time that I that I uh experienced Randy and and it was actually a uh, a, 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 a progressing a progression Yep.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: it's it's not like the first day we ever played together was I aware of how deep his musical uh vocabulary was because uh, with Quiet Riot, he was very much boxed in as far as what he was able to write or allow to write in order for us to get a record deal. That that was the, the goal yeah. of the band, to get a record deal. So you have to be music that could be on the radio, accessible, you know? So... All of Randy's uh, wealth of mus- musical theory and then harmony and you know classical background playing you know play classical guitar and composition none of that was apparent during that period mm-hmm. and uh, the way that I became aware that Randy could actually play classical was uh, I sorry he asked me to to, to teach. At his mom's school, Musonia,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and so during breaks, I would hear him pick up the acoustic guitar and start playing classical music. And I said, "I don't know, you could play like that." And I said, "Yeah, we don't do that in quite a riot, Blah 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 blah. <laughs> so, so uh, what happened was when he went to play with Ozzy, he asked Ozzy, "What do you want me to? Uh, what do you want me to play? What do you want me to write?" And he, Ozzy just said, "Be yourself." Uh. And that's when the Randy Rhodes that we know. And is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Then, you know, he's just started, you know, to go in into places musically that he was never able to go with, with Quiet Riot. You yeah. know, and uh, so so I was aware by the time that I started playing with him in Ozzy that he was capable of doing that. Now, one thing is to be capable at that moment, at that level, but he would progress uh exponentially while we were on tour mm-hmm. the next day he will be twice as good as he was the day before and that was amazing to hear but then again that i was that was expected it was like what's Ronnie gonna play today <laughs> well, yeah i see yeah. how's he gonna top last night and he always did you know never had a bad show uh Tommy Aldrich, I never saw him have a bad show, neither. Ozzy, Ozzy is very emotional. It's kind of like he picks up on the on the environment, and if there's some stuff going on, it will come out on his, in his playing, his singing. You know, of course, again, your instrument is, is your body, your voice, whereas we guitar players, drummers, bass players – we funnel that through the instrument itself, which is not necessarily attached to our body. It's attached. We play through it, but it's not part of our body. Very different with, with the vocals, you know, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched that. It's called, the, there's two speak of the devil. There's the mm-hmm. Aussie re-recordings of Black Sabbath songs. Yeah. Yep. That was, that was the first speak of it. Actually, that was not the Speak. It was the first, <laughs> Uh, the, but yes, it was the first Speak of the Devil content that was done because we did that in June of 1982. That was mm-hmm. the last show we did in Continental USA of the Diary of a Mad Men tour. We did a couple of other shows. Uh, <clears throat> we did the uh, problem Bowl, and then we did some some fe- another festival in New Orleans, and then those were the last two shows that we did of. Of that year, as far as the Dario Fematman tour did, and um, and then you have the uh, the recordings of Speak of the Devil" at the Ritz in New York. That was the last time I ever played with, with Ozzy. And what what happened was for that show in Irvine, California, um, that became the it was the Dario Fematman tour with Brad Gillis playing guitar. See, people yeah. ask me, oh, how how come there's no Randy footage? Well. What you see with Brad Gillis playing that was planned months in advance for Randy to be doing that, but mm-hmm. he passed away. Yep. so it there was a plan, and you always wait for wait to hit certain cities where logistically it makes sense to have the crew there locally. so so they we pick you know, I didn't do anything. The management picked Los Angeles. Because obviously, all the production companies, the major ones, are in L.A. and New York. So, L.A., that makes sense. Okay. And it happened to be the last show of the Dire of the Tour in the continental USA. Well, what happened was that Randy died. Okay. Well, they still, you know, they're under contract to, make, to do this show, and we continue. And Brad Gillis happens to be the one who was playing in the band at that time. But yeah, that was planned. But it mm-hmm. Randy died too soon, you know. Mm. And um so uh going back to talking about about Randy, he's you know watching him play every single night, it was just uh, you know it was a revelation, but also it's not that you get spoiled and used to it. It's just that you expect it. Mm. And for me to go on stage with musicians of that level, especially Randy, all I have to do is just worry about myself. I don't have to worry about it, Randy. He's got that comfort. All I have to worry about is me me keeping up with him yeah. and everybody yeah. else. Yeah. That was that's all I did, you know, and enjoy the moment and know that every show is a blessing. <clears throat> and 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 be grateful.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, obviously, obviously the, the tragic young early loss <clears> of Randy, <throat> you know, hit everybody. Obviously it hit you very, very close. You know, he was a dear friend bandmate. But for us as music fans, you know, for me or, you know, and for Zeus, selfishly, we, we love and adore what Randy Rhodes did. And part of the tragedy is that his career was cut so short that his name, should be talked about more in our circles. He is because that's what we listen to. But I feel like a, a, a guy like that, like like you, you kind of hinted at it, like when you're playing with him, whether it's in the, the studio or on the stage or touring at that moment, are you kind of just sitting there going, this guy is going to be the next big name in guitar? Cause at that time you had, Eddie Van Halen was just coming on the scene. You already had Richie Blackmore. You had those legends, and Randy was poised to be that next thing. He still is in our eyes because of of what he did during his short time to contribute. But when you were, were you just kind of like in awe of this young man? Like you said, he keeps getting better and better and better.
2: Was I? You know, I, you know. To be honest with you, it did not take for for Randy to play with Ozzy for me to realize that he was going to be destined to be the next big legendary guitar player. Yeah, I, I I witnessed that. Like I mentioned, watching him. I mean, you know, we did a lot of shows in Quiet Riot too. You know, right? And right. It, it it never mattered. See, one of the key ingredients about Randy is. It didn't matter how many people were in the audience, because I mm-hmm. got to tell you, by 78, when I joined the band and 79, when Randy left, the reason why he left was because nobody cared about Choir Riot. Yeah. We had two albums that came out in Japan, which still means that you cannot get those records in the United States. You can't tour with those records because mm-hmm. they're not on the radio. Nobody cares. Promoters will not hire you. So we were just another L.A. local band. Right. Yeah. You know. And that's the reason why Randy left. If those two records that he did in with in Japan mattered, he would have never left. Yeah. Because all he wanted was right here. But no, it wasn't. It didn't you know, that career did not exist. That later on happened with the uh, metal health version of the band because then we had an international release, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and that record by the way is dedicated to uh, to his memory if you read if you got a vinyl cover you know so yep that record was pretty much done in the spirit uh you know to celebrate and just you know for the memory of Randy we all did it for that you yeah. know and uh, so, you know, going back to, the, was I aware that Randy was going to be, yeah, but, you know, it, it didn't, it's funny because, to me, he did not need the validation of a million fans for me to know that. Yeah, I mm-hmm. knew that. I was in the room with him and I go, okay, this guy, <laughs> this guy is it. Look at him. There's nobody like him. Right. You know? Right. I mean, it, it, to put everything in perspective, it took us it took us a while to actually find somebody who could emulate Randy's guitar playing style, and and Brad Gillis, you know, was able to do that. And the reason why he was discovered is because Pat Thrall, who was, was a guitar who, a guitar player, and Pat Travers, who played with Tommy in that version of the band, yep. Yep. Uh, r- uh, his brothers saw Brad Gillis play in a early version of the Alameda All Stars. Which was became Night Ranger. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Playing in in the Bay Area, and he saw, and they were doing covers. So he was, they were doing an Ozzy song, and Pat Pat Froll's brother heard it, him playing, and go, oh, this guy, you know, he he can, you know, he, he's got that technique. He can do that technique that that Randy uses on records, you know, and uh, that's how he um, that's how he 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 was discovered.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, one of the questions I'll ask you is, so the thing that I always find amazing is he's got that classical music guitar training and background, and a lot of people, they talk about Richie Blackmore has that and this and that, but to me, the what separates him and what gives Randy the uniqueness is not only can he just, you know, shred with the best of them if he needs to, but he's got this clean, melodic guitar that and I'm driving, picking up my daughter from school, and I'm playing Blizzard of Oz back, <laughs> and I'm like, listen to that guitar on this Crowley, Mr. Crowley solo. It's almost like an orchestra like a like violins playing. And I don't know anybody. And I've said this on our show. We review rock albums all the time. That's the greatest guitar album for me. It's my favorite. There's nothing, nobody that can do that. It's I can't explain it. But you, as a musician, you have, who's played with him and has played with many, many great guitar players, what is it about the sound? Because I, th- I just the only thing I can think of is he's more melodic than anybody. The way he can hold the note and it's almost like orchestral. That's how I, that's how I see him different. But you, I'm just I need somebody to explain to me what <laughs> I'm hearing because I don't know the words to say. Like why is this guy to me above everybody?
2: Okay, let me jump in. Okay. Uh, of all the guitar players that, that you know, and I played, uh, you know, I played with Steve Vai, I played with uh, uh, Inve, I did a tour with him. Yeah. Adrian Vandenberg, the mm-hmm. Martini, Brad Gillis, Tony McAlpine. I mean, yeah. there, there's so many great guitar players that I play with. But Randy was the only guy who at least will double track all his solos. Ah, okay. Perfectly. Mm -hmm. Double tracking. And that just adds all these different harmonics and frequency. So you might be, uh, there's two things. There's the choice of notes. Yeah. And then there is the tone of the instrument. And he was very unique in that. The fact that he used a very early version of a multi, a, a, a pedal board. Mm-hmm. that later on, you know, other companies started to like put together. It was like you could pick the routing. So not everything's going through the whole pedal board at the same time. You switch it. You switch the routing of the pedals. So you maintain the integrity of the tone without being going through all of these pedals always at the same time. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. there were other switching systems later on that were developed. But but this was Randy's. And he used the Wawa for mm-hmm. tone. He would step on it and find that sweet spot for certain tones, sound or on certain solos. Rarely do you hear him do a wah solo. No, he's using the Wawa to kind of like shelf the frequency, especially mm. the mid range. You know, yeah. uh, he had two two echoplexes, one feeding into the other, uh, and most important, that sound was in his hands. He played uh, gauge eleven GHS boomer strings, yep, and everything everything adds up. So, so he was he was he was so important in the development of palm muting, rapid fire rhythm rhythm riffs, right? Yep, he was like that's why we had such a hard time trying to find somebody who could actually do that. <laughs> you know, uh, he showed me. He says listen you know be passionate you know be angry like you know like it metal yeah from your wrist up everything from your wrist down is gentle uh. he plays he plays so loud like you know we we used to have like you know the, whatever band was on tour with us sometimes they'll go up to Randy and during sound check and say hey can I can I check out your rig and Randy will give him the guitar and it will be total feedback <laughs> because they did not know how to control it right, you know, right. that had to, a lot to do with the muting and standing in a certain uh position so the guitar doesn't feedback he had when we did diary of the Mad Men and we had the castle there were three Marshall stacks with jbl speakers behind where the castle is, right behind mm-hmm. the castle. Then he had one Marshall stack on the side, which again with JBLs, and one in the pit, the security pit. You know, the barrier that separates the band from from sure. the audience. And he was loud. He was loud, but it was a control loud. It was not a. I never heard him feedback lose control of his tone or anything. You know. And, but he was very sensitive in his playing, which came from playing classical guitar. You you know, you just don't bang on it. You know, one thing that really separated Randy, well, one of many things from anybody else I've ever played with was the fact that he came from an academia, music academia family. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Mom and dad, music professors, they built Musonia, that school that's still out there in uh, in North Hollywood. So, Randy, That's all he knew. And we're talking about, you know, he must have been born in the 60s or late 50s. Um, Yeah, in the 60s. And uh, I think it was 1956. Is that that when he was born? 1956? And uh, so immediately, you know, by the time he was three, four years old, he was playing classical guitar. Mm -hmm. At the school, they were teaching him how to do it. And then he over, you know, he, he got better than the teacher. So the teacher could not, <laughs> could not show him anymore. So then they made him a teacher. Yeah. 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 By the time, but but he went through academia. He learned everything from the way that has been taught since classical days. You know, the mm-hmm. way that Bach would, would teach or any, any of these great composers who were also teachers. Yeah. You know and uh, there, it's there, it's a system that you go through you start you start very at the bottom and you build yourself up you know you, you go with it you know mm-hmm. and and that's how Randy learned which means that he was if he was a complete musician by the time that I played with him in choir right in 1978 he used to teach 8 hours a day Oh, and wow. then and then go over and rehearse for a couple of hours with Kauai Rayo. And this happened every single night. Like, unless we were we were performing. And then he would teach and then we would go and perform on the weekends with us. You know, so that was his world. Again, this is we're talking about the seventies and eighties. Yeah. No social media, <laughs> yeah. uh yeah. You know, to no YouTube videos he's putting up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, sometimes that could be a, distra- a distraction if you don't know how to manage your time, which is something that I learned, and I actually learned that from from Steve Vai when we were touring because he was like the the ultimate time management musician I've, I've ever I've ever played with, because you know, unlike Randy, Randy was just focused on on playing and 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 developing different techniques and getting deeper into his classical music and all of that. Whereas by the time that I toured with, with Vi, that was about six years later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Six, seven years later, Mm -hmm. you know, then there's different technology. Now we got the personal computer and Vi will always bring a computer with him. And while he was, when he was touring with us for the, uh, for the passion, uh, for the Slip, slip of the tongue, slip record. the tongue yeah 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 he was getting ready to release Passion and Warfare so during his guitar solo the band our band White Snake, we would play about six about 20 minutes worth of his music from the record you know so we got very familiar with that and so he was able to promote his record Passion and Warfare while he was touring <laughs> with Weissnay yeah. you know but i got to tell you it, it was so uh he didn't. Steve would not waste a second of the day. He would, he, as soon as we finished sound check, he would go into a a, a tune up room, you know, quiet, away from everybody else. Start, keep working on the book, the sheet music book that he was releasing as a companion to Passion and Warfare. Mm-hmm. So he was doing that. Amazing. Then on days off, he would bring a crew. To make videos of the songs that were going to be released <laughs> from *Passion yeah. and Warfare*. Oh that's, yeah, that's, it, it was, that's amazing. It was insane. He utilized every single every single second. I, I used to bring a little. Um, it, it was a portable VHS player with a tiny little screen, and uh, and Steve would, would would borrow it, you know, two or three times a week because <laughs> he was receiving paper edits. Of the uh, of the videos, so he will look at the video and look at the uh, the senti code and say, okay, well, uh, uh, this senti code uh, uh, on the screen at uh, three minutes and nineteen seconds, I want it quicker. <laughs> and he will make all of that, yeah, you know, yeah, and 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 I'm just like bringing stuff up that is really fresh in my mind. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the guy was the most motivated musician. Motivated and uh, time management. Yeah, yeah. That you know, time management. You know, he's just used up every sing- single moment of his life.
1: That's you know? right. You were right. Yeah. Uh, Randy was uh, December 6 nineteen fifty-six. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
0: Rudy. Let me ask you this. So we we we've talked about Randy. You hinted a little bit at Steve vi You know, we'll get into some of the other guys. You know, you mentioned Adrian Vandenberg and Ingve. They're all legendary in their own different ways and different styles when you're performing with them how does their style affect what you're doing if it has an effect at all because obviously when you're playing with Randy it's different from what Steve Vai is doing maybe to some people it might sound the same but to us and to you it's different as it is with Adrian vandenberg and and et etc does that affect you and how you play or affect how you approach what you're doing with 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 each band member
2: Hmm. you know that's really a good question but uh, the only way i mean thinking back of how i do it uh it's like a conversation Hmm. you know i mean we're having this conversation now Uh, how, how many of these conversations have you had before this one
0: right Lots of
2: different ones I mean, with, with different I mean, people, right? Like like 50, let's say, yeah. let's say 50. I bet you yeah. sure they were all different. Yeah, good point. Different, yep. You know, and it's the same thing when you play. I mean, when you play, it's, 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 you're communicating, communicating mm-hmm. with each other. And, and then there's an audience witnessing that, the act of the communication that's going on. And, but you're basically doing it for yourself. It's kind of like, it's, it all starts with you. You're doing it with, with you, and then you find people that like what you do and that you like what they do. You put a band together, and then you find something in common that you want to say with your music, lyrically especially, and then you find a, a record company signs you up. I mean, I'm talking about it's yeah. the, the traditional way, you know. Now it's... You know, nobody even knows <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just whatever works. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and uh, you know, there was a system. And uh, and then the last is actually playing it for the audience. Right. You know, and, and, and it's it is really interesting because it is the audience that makes it possible for you to have a career so you can keep doing this mm-hmm. for as long as they keep showing up. If they don't show up, well, you're still going to do this, but you're probably going to do this at home, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you know exactly.
1: That's funny. <laughs> but think of all the I mean, we were talking about it earlier when I first started with you, like starting running off all these legendary acts that you've played with. Do you have a favorite time in a specific band that you said this is my favorite? if I could go back, like this was the funnest time I ever had and enjoyed playing music live. Was it with white snake at its prime? Was it uh quiet riot on metal health? Was it, you know, with the Aussie band or maybe deal or J- Jeff Tate? Who knows? I'm just curious. What was yours? Cause you have so many legendary acts.
2: Well, for a singular band leader, you know, and I mean, you know, Ozzy or 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 Ronnie, not Ronnie yeah. James Dio. Yeah. I would have to say Ronnie. Ronnie. Mm. I mean, okay, let's put it this way. If it wasn't for Ozzy, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. You know, okay. Ozzy, yep. Sharon, you know, they 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 took me in based on Randy's recommendation. Mm-hmm. You know, and they changed my life, you know, and I, I owe them that. But but nevertheless, there was um there's usually some drama going on. You think? Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Especially, you, you know. especially in those days <laughs> with
1: Ozzy and Sharon. Yeah, we've yeah. all read the yeah. stories and stuff. Yep, yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's it's I'm grateful that I was there. And of course I understand the uh, the source of the drama and all of that. And you know, uh but going into if you're talking about a, a band where <laughs> You're gonna, I'm gonna show up and play with Ronnie James Dio.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's very simple. It goes, this is what happened. Ronnie expected the most out of himself. Mm. You know, it was again, it was it was about Ronnie going up there and giving it all, not only for the band, but for the audience. Mm -hmm. The fans, the fans, the family was really, you know, a lot of them were just, you know, family members of the Dio, you know, family. And there was no drama. Only time there was maybe some drama was because if he felt that he did not give everything that he could have, that somehow, some way there might have been some technical difficulty that got in the way or or whatever happened. It was like he left the stage and he felt that he just there was not that. Show that he was hoping for, and to be honest with you, I've never heard Ronnie have a bad night. But he had a certain, certain uh, level that he wanted to perform at, you know, and uh, so I would say Ronnie because to witness that in musical integrity, there's been very few musicians that I play with that had. And I'm talking about musical integrity. And I want to say the first one was Randy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You know, that's nothing. It, it was all about the music. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing else mattered. You know, we, we Randy and I, we never talked about politics. We never talked about religion. We never talked about who was going out with who. It was all about, we got a right a song that we're going to get signed with. That's all we care about. Mm -hmm. Musical content, you know, how to take Choir Riot to the next level. And to me, that's what lives in what we do today with Choir Riot. That's how I go on stage. You know, I go on stage as 1978. We still have to prove ourselves every single night, just like we did back then, Choir Riot. You know, this is not about, okay, we sold, you know, so many records and blah blah blah. Let's just kind of like, you know, lay back and just play the song. No. No, 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 no. No. I'm going on stage and I'm 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 on a time machine back to 1978. You know, I'm in my 20s again. Yeah. You know, and I and and I'm gonna give a thousand percent just like I did then and and it, and I'm auditioning at the same time for that crowd that might have never seen the band my never seen me in 1978 or in 82 80, 83 84 85 you know or even in the 90s when we all got back together again yep and uh, that's it you know i yeah i got something to prove and i'm going to have i'm going to have something to prove until my last breath
0: you know that is such an incredible statement that you just made which i think lends itself to why you are the legend that you are because you don't take advantage of your fans. You don't take advantage of the people that are seeing you in concert or buying your records or, like you said, it's 1978. You're proving yourself again. You want to go out and be the best for people who have never seen you or for people who have been watching you for the last 40 years. And, you know, we're not going to name names or drag anybody through the mud, but there are plenty of people out there who rest on their laurels who are like yeah i'm this person i'm that band etc etc we know you're going to come and see us so we're going to do this but to hear an artist such as yourself say no i i I, this is this show this is the first show i've ever played and i'm going to show the audience that and i want them to go home or experience this as if it's the first time. Because like you said, it might be. You've been around for a long time, but there are people that are still catching up to where you are in the music world. And I just, uh, I applaud you for that type of mentality because I think it's refreshing, especially these days.
2: It's a combination of many things. And um, by the way, thank you so much. Uh, but it's pretty much like, you know, I know what it was like to be on stage for the last time with, with Randy, mm-hmm. not knowing it was going to be your last time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, you got to play like there's no tomorrow yep there's there, right now, this moment, this song, this note you're gonna play it's all you got mm-hmm. you know, and then you add up on top of that, you know what I learned about you know, from Randy about having integrity in everything that you do, you know that and this has been documented many times that Randy had given notice to leave Ozzy to go yeah. back to school to get his yeah. degree in music, you know that's right, yep at a time where. He was already, he knew that people were listening to him, but he was not built to play the same songs every night over and over. There was so Mm. much creativity in him. He just hated that. And by the time he passed away, well, he left LA in 1979. Immediately he started working with Ozzy, putting a band together because people did not want to join. Yeah, you know, know. Bob got, uh joined the band. Uh, he was part of the Jet Records uh, family. Uh, he was in a band previously called Widowmaker. Mm-hmm. That was part of Jet Records. Uh, they had the hardest time finding a drummer. You know, and finally Lee Kerslake joins the band. So all they did was write, waiting mm-hmm. for the, the right combination of people. They didn't even have a producer. What yeah. Randy told me was that Max Norman was the house engineer at the uh, at the, at the recording studio
3: mm-hmm.
2: and people were promising him coming by, you know, to produce the record. And uh, one day Ozzy got fed up and said, screw this. He, and he asked Max, Do you know how to turn this thing on, you know, the, the board. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Said, yeah. <laughs> said, okay. You're the producer. Yeah. He just want to get it done. Yep. You know? This guy is sitting on all this incredible music and performances but there's nobody to to produce it. You know, so that's how yeah. Max became the uh, the producer on those records. You know, so it's it's there's there's so much backstory to the reason why I am who I am mainly because mm. of the influence, the impact that my my bandmates have yeah. had on me. For, for better mostly for better and then for worse but I won't carry that with me that's like you just leave that behind you learn from it and you move on mm-hmm. you know but I gotta tell you as far as having fun a great time going on stage you know with a purpose leaving my house with a purpose yep the per my purpose is to go on stage and celebrate the legacy of the band choir Ryan. And the memory of Frankie Benelli, Kevin DeBro, and Randy rhodes I never had that before. Mm. All I had was, well, we're going to play some songs and we're going <laughs> to go on tour and, you know, kick ass on stage, whatever. It was like, kind of like, okay, but something was missing. Mm. Something was really missing,
3: yeah.
2: you know, and now I have that in my life. i That's great. The purpose. The purpose That's great. The, you know, yeah. That's awesome.
1: Now, yeah. one of the other things that you did was become part of White Snake, where the band had already released the album. You guys come in, and mm-hmm. it's like he hits your perfect. This guy, this guy, and of course, he picks you for the bass. Now you got mm-hmm. a bunch of big personalities. the The album takes off. What was it like there? Because you, 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 I think you were there for two albums with David Coverdale, and that yeah, personality. One. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Toured with White Snake, the album, but you didn't play on it. But then you were on Slip of the Tongue. But yeah, those you know, two albums and tours, you were with a lot of big personalities, a lot of talent, and the band was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what was that like? And handling because uh, you know, in in the rock hard rock pantheon, David Coverdale is a big shadow, big personality too, along with Ronnie and along with Ozzy, and now you got three. And Kevin Dubrow. That's four big kind of frontman personalities that you dealt with.
2: Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I wouldn't even call dealing with because it's, you are, I, I was a part of that. Yeah. So there was no real dealing with it, you know, kind of like. hmm Yeah, yeah. Maybe I I used the wrong
1: terminology. I used the wrong terminology. But I think you understand what I'm asking. Like, what was it like with those four personalities?
2: Yeah, very simple. In the case of Whitesnake, Whitesnake was the support band for Choir Rider in 1984, 40 years Mm ago. Uh, We had our condition critical tour at the end of the year because we got pulled off the road in early 83 and rushed in the studio to make a record. So it came out in the third quarter of 84 and then a subsequent tour. And White Snake was with the support band. And so David got to see me and I got to see them performing every single day. So on the last day of our tour together, uh, we're saying our goodbyes in the tour bus. And he gives me a hug and whispers in my ear, we're going to be playing together soon. Mm. And I and I'm thinking, <laughs> how does he know that I've given notice to the band that I'm leaving after the end of the tour? I had no idea. So, you know, that stays there. And then I continue uh, playing with Quiet Riot. Then the tour ends and I leave the band and I and we start Tommy Alders and I start putting a band together and then we get a call. This is 1985. We get a call from um Whitesnake Management. That they want to talk to us, so we go to the office, and they uh, they offer us the uh, the rhythm section. This is nineteen eighty five, and uh, Tommy Algers and me. And then I I find out that one of the key elements, as far as the friction that I was aware of within the band, was still in the band. Everybody else was gone except for this person, very talented. But, but as far as having uh, conflict with David it, it was it, it was it was very clear yeah and I, I thought well I'm just leaving one situation I don't want to jump into another situation so'm I'm, I'm gonna pass and uh, Tommy did the same thing later on and then I a couple of years later we get another call now this time is to actually perform on the video uh still of the night this call now now by then the record is done and they're getting ready to make the video and by this time that uh that conflicting band member was not in there anymore (laughs) and it's a a member of wife's so it was like safe now it's safe (laughs) to walk in there and actually you know my wife and i we've been watching videos of uh lately of that uh of that era because I always took video with me or either I was on stage and my wife was taking videos and, and it was so, so wonderful. Everybody got along. Wonderful. It was very peaceful. It was great. It really was. I have wonderful memories of that.
1: Oh, that's great. I see. I remember this. There's a story. Now you guys played with kiss at one point, correct? Mm -hmm. And there was, and there was a (laughs) conflict there between, David and Paul got into an argument of some sort. I don't know if you know the, the exact story, but is oh, that Rudy's chuckling, to, so he yeah, might. Is that a story that you can share with us? What was that really about, and what happened?
2: I was there, so
1: okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. what can you share with us?
2: It was it was very simple, and it was very <laughs> it was very funny, actually. Well, okay. <laughs> I have met paul uh back in seventy eight when I joined choir riot, okay, yep. and I met him and every <laughs> <we, laughs> oh I, I can't wait now, now you know. no, no, we talk about we talk about this all the time, as a matter of fact, he'll tell like let's say he introduces me to somebody and then he'll go and tell the story himself, <laughs> you know okay. <laughs> so (laughs) so, okay it it was actually really really uh really nice uh i just started working at this uh, health food place on sunset boulevard on the strip right across from tower records and a lot of celebrities used to uh, go there because it was like the hip thing to do in la in the 70s eat vegan vegetarian right (laughs) okay okay and, uh, by the way, I can make a, a, a mean veggie burger. And I'm talking about old school veggie burger from back in the 70s. Okay. Not, not those, guess, in,
1: not the impossible
2: things that they do now. <laughs> I, I do enjoy the impossible one. I, 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 gotta, I, I guess I'm one of the very few. Maybe not. Maybe there's more people like me, but I do. I, I do really enjoy it. Okay. You know, that's my to-go thing when I go to Starbucks, get the Impossible burger that they have. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm learning the cashier registers early in the morning, and I hear the uh, the door open to the uh, to this place that I was working at, McNaturals. Naturals. It was kind of like a fast food. It was a fast food place. Mm-hmm. Fast food health food. That was the the concept, and I hear the door open and shut, and I look up. And this is before they were unmasked. Yeah. This is when when yes. they were still, uh, yeah, uh, wearing makeup. And they had just come up with a, with a record of the four of them. I mean, oh, four, four solo records, four of them. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I look up and I go, oh, my God, it's Paul Stanley. Even without <laughs> the makeup. You recognize so
0: nice. you could tell. Oh, you could yeah, recognize him. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: yeah. So I was like all flustered, you know. I'm, I'm like, I I I don't have the machine down, you know, the uh, the cash register down yet. But so I'm kind of like, and and I have my hair was really long, it was like down to my waist, but it was tied in a nut in the back, and I would put it inside my shirt. <laughs> so I kind of looked like I, I had the weirdest haircut, you know, kind of like a Donny Osmond with a page boy, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, just like that. But it was part of the gig. And uh, so yeah, so you know, with time he kept coming back and and you know, we started talking. I mean, he knew I was a musician. I, I gave him one of the Quiet Riot 2 copies, you know, just to oh, like yeah. show it to management, you know, and and stuff like that. And you know, he was really a super cool guy. I'll and I'll always remember what he ordered. He ordered a sprout. Salad with one scoop of tuna fish oh. on, on top <laughs> called called the wonder of the Orient and one <laughs> one small glass of I mean cup with, they were paper cups uh of uh carrot juice.
3: Oh god
2: oh. Oh. carrot juice. Oh boy, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Wow. He was consistent every single time he came in. That's what he ordered.
1: Yeah. <laughs> wow. Now
2: what about the story? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, so what I'm trying to say is that I, I knew Paul. And then yeah, and then once we um once I joined Ozzy, it was like, oh man, you know, congratulations. And you know, we got even closer because now, you know, I'm playing with sure. Ozzy. So, you know, and uh so that kind of like that's what our relationship remained, you know, sure. once once I joined Ozzy. And then, so here we are, we are playing, uh, it's in Toronto and it's a, uh, a baseball stadium, not a, not a major league, but a, uh, minor,
1: minor, league, league. Ba- yeah, minor yeah, league baseball yeah. stadium.
2: Yeah. And I had done some shows there before with other bands, with Choir Riot, you know, playing with the other band. And, uh, so what happened was there were going to be two shows, two shows and the promoter thought, you know what? I think I can get more people in the venue. If I can actually put both bands together on the same bill in a stadium. Yeah. And, uh, so somehow, some way Kiss. this is before they had the makeup back on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wound up playing right before us, which meant that they were going on around. This is the summertime yeah. in Toronto yeah. where the sun doesn't set until like maybe nine, nine 30. Yep. Uh, and they were going on like maybe six o'clock, because we were going, you know, they did a the full show set set list wise, and then mm-hmm. we came on like around eight, eight o'clock. And uh so even if they wanted to use all the pyros, it, it was gonna be daylight, yeah, completely, <laughs> right? You know, at that time, but uh somebody in management. Made sure that they knew that they were not allowed to use pyro, anyways. Oh boy! So, so okay. So this is wait, wait, wait. My... wait.
1: Who's management told them they weren't allowed? Well, uh, white snake. A oh,
2: white snake. Whitesnake's. Oh, white snakes. Okay. okay. Said to yeah. Paul and Kiss,
1: yeah. "You're not doing it."
2: Well, you're not. Yeah, you're not. You're doing the show without pyro. Okay. Oh okay. boy. Okay. And, you this is know, gonna go over actually, well. Actually, I, I did not know anything about this until. The shit hit the fan, you know <laughs> about it. And uh, so, you know, I, I, we, we get we are, we get to the venue, and I just walk on stage, and I'm on the side of the stage watching the band. And Paul turns to me and waves and smiles, and I do the same thing. And then the song ends, and he starts going into a, a speech about oh, no. how David David Coverdale was not allowing Kiss. To give their fans a real kiss show because they were not allowed to use the pyro and and the whole place, the the whole place just turned on us. And I'm and I'm listening to this and I'm listening to this and I'm going like, wow, okay, this is weird, but oh no, you know, it doesn't really change anything for me. All I know is that. Yeah. All I know is that you know usually what happens is the first row of that show was hardcore Kiss fans.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yep.
2: You yep. know, And uh, so when we came on, <laughs> no. Oh, they God. Us, they they let us know we were number one.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that, yeah this one. Oh, right? Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. During the whole show, that just oh, went, no, <laughs> Jesus, and I thought, wow, that's stamina. These, uh, <laughs> these kids fans, <laughs> good
3: for
1: them. Now, did Paul and David have words at the time, like with each other?
2: No, there was just like a lot of backstage huffing and puffing, but no, there was no confrontations. You know, yeah, like- it was it was a stadium, so we were like. One side of the dressing rooms and the, yeah. of the lockers, and then the other side <laughs> of the lockers were kept separated anyway. So,
1: but yeah. so many years later, like yeah. Kiss fans like us know the story. Oh yeah, like yeah. it's it's permeated like throughout time. That like, oh yeah, do you ever hear the time that David Coverdale and Paul Stanley got into? I'm like, no, not two of my favorite bands. I don't want to hear this. And uh, I knew that there was something there. I just wanted to get it from you while
2: I have it. Yeah, yeah, but just like any myth. You know, is you know, it always gets blown out of proportion. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, so, sure. You know, uh, actually, my last show with Ronnie was with Kiss in Bilbao. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That was, um, yeah. We did a, a festival, beautiful festival. Um, it was televised, so I'm pretty sure this some. What video year was for this? I think it was 2008.
0: Okay.
1: So before Sonic Boom, I'm thinking, right?
2: Mm, yep. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yep. I mean.
1: That's makeup. Who, right? That um, Sonic Boom Yeah, that's, Boom make- album, yeah, that's, that's kiss makeup album. kiss. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. they are wearing the makeup. It was yep. really funny because, you know, we were all hanging backstage for a few hours before we went on. You know, this is a big festival and there were yeah. a lot of our friends that we wanted yeah. to hang out with that were also playing there. And uh, so I went there early and Gene is like... You know, dress casual, you know, yep. off stage Jean. And then and then they go into the dressing room and come back. Yeah. As yeah. you know, with the makeup. And now Jean is in the demon. mode. Yeah. Personality. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He's not he's not talking to anybody. He's just sitting in a corner kind of like looking mean at everybody. <laughs> <like, laughs>
3: <you know. laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> Rudy,
0: Ru- Rudy, let, let let me ask you. So, I I I just lost my train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> you want to ask him about Ingve? Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yes. I, I
1: knew you got to get, get a question in about. I got to get a
0: question because I'm 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 an Ingve fan. Like I don't like everything that he's ever done, but I'm a huge fan of his. So, we talked about personalities that you performed with, whether it's lead singers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How did you hook up with Ingve? And just kind of tell us briefly or not about your experience working with him because, as fans of Ingwe, we know that he can kind of have a large personality sometimes.
2: I, I love large personalities, I live for that because I feel like I'm, I'm I have the best seat in the house to experience. <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a great point. That's a great point, you know, like you know, whether it's on stage or backstage, you know. Yeah. uh, Invey was great. I love playing with him. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It's Invey most team, you know. And this is a, a time where, where the band were still part of the show, not just like on the side of the stage. Yeah, you know? where they
3: get yeah, exactly. the, yeah. <laughs> <Where he laughs> yeah, sticks everybody over
2: the <laughs> yeah. side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So this was this is yeah, this is two thousand and two thousand and four because I yep. play with him. And then while I was playing with with uh, Inve, I got a call from Ron, uh, from Wendy Dio, Ronnie's manager, yeah, yep. to come and play on the Master of the Moon record. But I was on tour with uh, with Inve, mm-hmm. so I I joined Dio after I finished that tour. So there was the Attack U.S. tour, yep. of two thousand and four. Yeah, yep, yeah, and it was great. I mean, I used to. Uh, you know, it was a family affair. He yeah. had his son, Antonio, with him, uh April. We're all on the same tour bus hanging and mm-hmm. the band the band great guys and really nice, challenging music. I got to to play, you know, ten years worth of notes yeah. in uh, in about <laughs> four months. Yeah. It was great. I need, I needed that. I really needed that. Yeah. Oh, that was going to be my next question. So when, you,
0: when you're playing, when you're playing a lot of melodic hard rock with Quiet Riot and White Snake, and he, even the Aussie stuff with Randy, then you go to Inve, and like you just said, he's just burning up the fretboard. And Rudy, how how are you? Like, okay, is this the only gear that this guy is in right now? Like you said, ten thousand, ten years worth of notes, and you know, four months or whatever.
2: Yeah. But it you know, it's the same music theory. Yeah. It's the same notes. We only got 12 notes.
3: Yeah. Now they're true. just
2: being played, you know, 10 times as fast as the regular song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's still the same thing. You just play it faster. Yeah. You know, and and you understand the modes that he's using. You understand, you know, when he's using a harmonic minor or you know, and basically you just listen. No, okay. So you know, it's it's it, it was a style of music that I had not really played. The closest thing would have been Randy with Ozzy. You know, certain songs from Diary of a Madman or yeah. even Revelation, Mother Earth, that were in. Oh, that. don't
1: get me started. I love that. You know, I love
2: that. You know, yeah, in that classical vein. Yes, uh, totally. Yep. You know, and these are these are conversations that I used to have with Randy back because Randy was such a great teacher, so it was natural for him to to share information uh, about his writing style. Uh, I mean, if you look at uh, you guys, are you guys musicians?
0: I can Uh, noodle a little bit with guitars. I'm not going to pretend that I'm some kind of pro. Yeah. I I can can play some piano and some guitar.
2: Well, you can play the radio. (laughs) Yes, we can do that. Or a million CDs and music. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, again you know i'm sitting there with randy of course it's we're going to have a musical conversation and use certain language and vocabulary uh we you know he would explain to me that basically the uh, the first record was diatonic like if you listen to crazy train listen to dario uh, i mean uh mr crowley mm-hmm. uh, goodbye to romance all those songs have a a, a tonic a tone center yep. that uses all all the modes from that certain tone center
3: mm-hmm.
2: whether it would be let's say crazy train it's it's really a major if you mm-hmm. listen to the verse it's a very happy sounding guitar riff and then you go to the relative minor the f sharp minor and that's where the that that yeah or that yes that. Yes, yeah. yes yes we talked about that relative. Yeah. yeah but it's all relative you know it's it's kind of like it's like songwriting 101 Mm-hmm. You know, uh, where, you know, a, a a certain section of the song is minor, relative minor to the major of the of the tone center. But by the time that he started writing for Diary of Madman, which was very it's a short period, mm-hmm. uh you know, they finished Diary and then they start working on I mean, they finished Blizzard, then they started working on Diary like within weeks of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. his his uh, writing really changed yeah it was a lot of, if it was playing uh, you know model substitution all the time you know mm-hmm. uh that's that's how you know like if you listen to the song diary of the Mad Men, oh, that's a my example so, so good. yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, of how his musical direction as a composer really really uh took a giant leap. Totally.
1: And that's what I hear from people that are musicians and stuff. So for me, for my ear, non musician, I listen to Blizzard of Oz and I say that's the greatest guitar album of all time. I, I love it. It moves me when I hear him play his solos. Yeah. And all mm-hmm. that. But then others are like, mm-hmm. oh no, you die of a madman. You're you're so mistaken. Is is so much more complex. He might make it seem yeah. easy, but it's so much more advanced in such a small period of time from where he was oh, a yeah. blizzard. That it's yeah. that's the more like a guitarist looking at it, like, oh shit, I gotta do that. Like that's more difficult what he was doing in diary than Blizzard, which is more to me, more uh I don't know, yeah. Uh,
2: easy yeah, for but, the ears. But what 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 I find interesting about that is that it's not like yeah. Randy all of a sudden went to uh you know, musicians institute or Berkeley, <laughs> and got right. that knowledge in in, like, in about three no. or four weeks. Right. No, he, he had knew it. knew that already, but he knew how to create a foundation. Yeah, yeah. Create a foundation. A lot of the riffs, the riffs, the birth, the seed of the riffs that he was playing. That you know that he brought to Ozzy for the Blizzard of Us. We were doing those in demos for Choir Riot. It's very simple. Yep. It's very simple. Yep. Okay, any musician, let's say a musician leaves a band and gets together for, with some new a new bunch of guys or girls, right? And and they go, what do you got? What well, <laughs> you got? What well, you just brought from your other band. Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. That's the first thing you got. You, That's right. You know, I say, well, I got this stuff that I was doing before and we can rework it and do whatever we want, but because I wrote it. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Right. So a lot of what's in 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 the, on on Blizzard of Oz is like if you look at Goodbye to Romance, mm-hmm. there's a song called that became known as Winners Take All. Okay. Quiet write a second record. the original version of that was called Teenage Anthem. And we okay. used to play in it it, it it never even made it to a demo. What it made it to was that we used to play it live, and there's some bootleg live. I'm gonna recordings. go on YouTube afterwards oh, yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah a teenage Anthem. Then it got reworked musically and lyrically for the Condition Critical record, yep. and it became Winners Take All. But if you okay. listen to the the guitar, the uh, the uh, the chord sequences, yeah, uh, it, it, it's it's. It's basically a reworking of that song, which Randy wrote.
0: Yeah.
2: It's funny, Rudy.
0: It's funny. I was going to say, you know, just before we wrap up here earlier in the conversation, you were saying how Randy would get better by the day or by the night that like what he did today, you know, tomorrow Mm -hmm. would be better. And it's almost like we were just talking about the difference between Blizzard and Diary. I hear that a lot. I personally, I love them both. I lean towards Blizzard like Zeus, but a lot of people like, "No, no, 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 no diary is his magnum opus because of and yeah. It's almost, it almost kind of reminds me of what you said is that he got that yeah. much better. And it wasn't like it was a three week period. It's just the progression. By the time it came time to write diary, he just kind of blew up in terms of the, the what he did musically.
2: To, to encapsulate what you just said, I've had Scandinavian musicians and Black metal, death metal, come yeah. up to me and say, "The Diary of a Madman" record is what started that movement. Yeah, wow, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I can see title, I could, that title. That
1: title track, I can tell, had yep, a lot see, to do yeah. with it. Yep, um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. and yeah. Rudy, listen, I know we've taken up a lot of your time, but I, I've got to put this out here for us fans of Randy Rhodes's music, and never mind just your incredible own career. And I, when I talked to you, I pulled you aside in Creatures Fest and I said this to you. To me, like Randy lives through you and your stories. There's nobody that can tell them or knows yes. him better than you. And mm-hmm. his legacy lives. And I've never seen you ever tell a Randy story without like a smile or happiness. And it's, I mean, we thank you because. Mm. There's not a time after a couple of weeks or something. I'll look something up and I'll find you talking about him, and I'll mm-hmm. hear a story I never heard before, and we get to know him through what you do, yeah. and it's a gift that you give us fans for Randy Rhodes. Never mind your incredible own career. So mm-hmm. from that, I I said it to you in person. I'm saying it to you again, thank you because it means a lot to us in hearing these stories. I will treasure this forever and um and I'm gonna start looking for a little all the things that you were saying about him. I mean, God bless you. God bless Randy. Um this has been complete an honor, man. An honor.
2: Thank, thank you. Thank I, I I don't know if you guys are aware, but I, I wrote a book. Yeah. yeah. Up, yes. Up the rails. Yes. Yep. And yes. I mean, everything that I can say about Randy, it's it's all in the book. Yeah, yeah, and
1: we'll certainly yeah. tell everybody to go pick it up because if you want any news about Randy Rhodes, you hear it firsthand, right from yeah. Rudy, and it's it's amazing. And God bless you for keeping his memory alive and sharing your stories of your time with him and and Randy Rhodes, man. Thank you so much. Yeah,
0: thank Rudy, you, dude. R- Rudy, tell tell our listeners and and tell us, tell everybody. Where can people find you and what are you doing right now as we speak? If people are interested to, to track down
2: Rudy, where, where can they go? What what are you up to? On Mondays I go to the to the oat milk section of Costco <laughs> in the woodland hills and I hang around for about fifteen minutes. Yeah. Nice. I used to go I, I used to go to the almond milk, but then again, it takes too much water. For the almond. So I yeah, now go to I'll the I'll take ocean. your word for it. I, I'll believe yeah. I believe you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm easy to find um Instagram, Facebook, and yeah. there's uh there's a few uh fake accounts and it's okay. <laughs> I see that as a compliment. Yeah. But it's very easy to tell me. From the fake account who just opened up two weeks ago and has like five followers, i <laughs> the guy with a, with a gazillion followers. Okay, don't go to the guy with the five followers. Don't even pay attention. It will yes. go away eventually.
1: Yeah, we will yeah. get
2: tired of this. You know, Are you touring you
1: know. any time soon? Coming up and touring anything?
2: We're always on the road. Uh, next, uh, actually, uh, I'll be about two hours away from LA this Saturday. Okay. And then uh, we take another week off and then it gets crazy. We go to Canada. three shows in Canada, uh Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. Then then I, a couple of days later I have a, uh, a uh, I'm 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 a member of a charity event called ba- mm-hmm. Bank, BANC, B A N C, Benevolent Artists National Charity based in Calgary in Canada. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh we've been doing sh- uh some charity events in Phoenix, Scottsdale, actually uh, partnering with the Alice Cooper. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Arizona, Arizona, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's yeah, Alice yeah. Cooper land. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we did the uh, the Christmas pudding for Alice uh, this oh, past okay. uh, December. Okay. It was fantastic. <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing that event. And then right after that, I fly through Fallotville, oh, no, actually Miami, to get on a boat called the Monsters of Rock. Oh, yes. We oh, have you're on the Monsters of, of Rock, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, we have a oh, lot yeah. of friends that are going to be on that boat. So, yeah. unfortunately, you Yeah, there, me right? yep. 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 White Riot's
2: going to yeah. be That's there, yep. That's great. Yeah, yep. Yep. Great. and awesome. then uh, we get off the boat and we got on a plane and head out to the UK and do a couple of shows out there. Nice. Uh, Hellfest and at the O2 nice. in London, and then I come home and do my laundry. Kiss <laughs> <laughs> my wife and my little dog and... And keep on going, (laughs) and get that and get that oatmeal. Well, he's oatmeal. Yep,
1: he's Rudy Sarzo, the legend. Thank you again, Rudy. We really appreciate this, buddy. Such an honor, Rudy. Thank you so so much. We appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. God bless you, Tom. What a way to celebrate fifty episodes of
0: Dorm Damage! Incredible stuff. Oh my God! I mean, we we say this all the time, but this we really meant it. We could have kept going with him. It was just incredible. The level of detail, his ability to tell a story that grabs you and just wants you listening more. Everything that he was talking about, Randy, I mean, he was breaking down scales that he was playing at one point and just incredible stuff. And then of course we get into White Snake and a little bit of the quiet ride, a little bit of Ingvay, a funny kiss story near the end, just incredible stuff above and beyond what we could have ever hoped for to have time with Rudy. Amazing.
1: Yeah, we hope that you guys enjoyed this. Uh, What a way to celebrate 50. Till next time, peace out, Girl Scout.